You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. Part 4. Our Ability to Change. Chapter 12. The Matrix of Change. Oases in the Desert and Plains of the Serengeti. Imagine a future where greed-driven companies continue on their path of ascendancy towards global domination. The result is pockets of plenty existing in the midst of a desert of deprivation. It is almost as if the excesses of water and lush greenery in the oasis have been sucked from the rest of the landscape and accumulated in just a few spots. This is the net result of unrestrained companies' tendency to accumulate power and concentrate wealth in fewer and fewer hands. As a consequence, the majority of the world's population is pushed into a marginal existence, and the natural environment is systematically degraded. Only the fat cats get fatter. Like black holes in astronomy, wealth becomes so condensed that it creates its own singularity of greed. All the money that flows into the corporate treasure chest never gets shared. Those that are familiar with Frank Herbert's best-selling science fiction series, Dune, will have no difficulty imagining the scene. The story is set on the desert planet of Arrakis, the sole source of spice, which is a mineral on which the galactic population is dependent. The mercenary tycoons that control the spice control the universe, and they're not about to share their accrued power, wealth and water with anybody else. Back to our story of the future. At first the tyrants, individuals, businesses and politicians that have exploited the current global situation relentlessly for their own selfish gain, they revel in their opulence without any concern. They think that they are simply collecting their just reward for being superior players in the modern game of materialism. After all, their mesmerized fans worship them as heroes. The super players form exclusive clubs where only their own kind is welcome, so that they can show off their treasures to one another, strategize about how they can shape the destiny of the world, and reassure one another that they deserve everything they got. Occasionally they fall out with one another and have trade wars, but they never allow these differences to jeopardize their overall control. Their self-indulgent lives lack only one thing, peace of mind. Because as everyone knows, to continue with the dune metaphor, water is a priceless commodity in the desert. And if you own and control the water supply, all those billions that are dying of thirst in the desert will do desperate things to gain access to the fountain, or just to vent their pent-up hatred. They may even commit murder. Therefore, security becomes a primary and constant concern for corporations and their leaders. High walls, alarm systems, bodyguards, hidden vaults, police investigators, secret escape tunnels, private armies, you name it, they install and employ them. But they never feel completely safe. Lingering in the background is the constant fear of the next crazed suicide bomber or undetected anthrax delivery. Of course, these tycoons own what is left of the living environment. All the most pristine ecological reserves are their exclusive playground. 
Their homes, their offices and their vehicles are fitted with all the latest technological wizardry to insulate them from the pervasive pollution and saturation of toxins that incessantly plague the masses. And yet there are still some things that they just can't buy or own or control. The unpredictable weather patterns continue to be an expensive source of irritation, as are the collapse of shares in their portfolio when the company or the industry in which they are invested is implicated in the latest healthcare, fatal accident or environmental disaster. The era of the corporate kings does not last forever, and it most likely ends with a bang or a squelch. As the vast majority of the world's populations sees the gap ever widening between their own poverty-ridden and environmentally degraded existence and the insular wealth of rich executives, large multinationals and first world countries, a global mass protest movement gathers momentum and becomes increasingly volatile and violent, eventually making the kingdom of commerce ungovernable. This popular discontent is exacerbated as ecosystems continue to topple like dominoes and the most vulnerable populations begin to suffer the ravages of pollution-induced disease. Terror strikes against unbridled capitalist countries and their rapacious companies become more common, fueled by cultural and religious tensions. Ultimately, this leads to a chain reaction that descends into full-scale nuclear and biochemical warfare. Many corporate oases meet their end ahead of schedule. This is the future world of oases in the desert. Now imagine another rather different future. Global corporations have realized that their game of domination has a no-win conclusion and voluntarily or begrudgingly begin shape-shifting into something more benign, caring even. It's almost like the marketplace is a montage of breathtaking images from the fertile plains of East Africa, where the Great Rift Valley teems with wildlife, all living in a state of dynamic harmony with each other and with the environment. A rich state of biodiversity exists, and even the predators find their rightful place within the larger animal kingdom. Competition is alive and well, but it is tempered by the more pervasive cooperative tendency in nature, which ensures that a healthy balance is maintained. The smaller, more entrepreneurial creatures flourish in this setting. Such a future was only made possible because, at various levels of society, from the individual through to the community, from business through to the economy, from politics through to global governance, a consensus emerged regarding new rules of the game that were in everyone's collective interest in terms of ecological sustainability and social justice. As a consequence of these new governance principles, the sixth mass extinction and the poisoning of the environment has been halted and reversed, and the formerly marginalized and disempowered sections of the world population have been given a fair stake in global society and the economy. Much of the success of the transition to this more sustainable world had to do with restructuring the economy. The incentive mechanisms were redesigned in such a way that excessive accumulation of wealth and concentration of power were strongly discouraged. Negative environmental impacts were made prohibitively expensive, and meeting community needs became the social license to operate at all levels in the economy. Money still exists, but following the Transition Towns movement, it has shape-shifted into a multi-tiered commodity 
with community currencies being created as and when required as a means of facilitating local exchange of goods. Modifications to the interest and discount rate mechanisms are devised and speculation is heavily taxed. The main difference from the previous oases in the desert future is that now the economy is made to serve people and the environment, not the other way around. Business still plays a critical role in the world, meeting people's needs with its products and services, but the power and influence that it previously had over global affairs is now subject to numerous social, environmental and ethical checks and balances. While an important purpose of companies remains profit-making and shareholder returns, their overall objective is widened to make a permanent contribution in the communities in which they operate. Work itself is seen as a means to an end, a space in which people can develop their potential, express their talents, and make a positive contribution to society. Survival is no longer dependent on having a formal job. Most places of work and living are digitally connected, with an emphasis on decentralizing as much authority as possible to employees and providing them with congenial surroundings. Among the fundamental principles that are embedded in society are creative diversity, freedom with accountability, and the philosophy of holism. Although the technological revolution has continued apace and has greatly assisted with meeting human needs and ensuring ecological sustainability, this has been matched by a revolution in the outlook of business towards the planet. A new wave of discovery is focused on understanding the physiology and psychology of healthy living systems, including all levels of human interaction, and developing the personal and social skills to build these systems effectively. The highly competitive companies operating like predatory lions still exist, but with a crucial difference. The rules of the jungle don't automatically favor them at the expense of others anymore. This is the future world of Plains of the Serengeti. Stories of the Future Oases in the Desert and Plains of the Serengeti are scenarios, stories of possible futures, taken from my first book, Beyond Reasonable Greed. They help us to imagine divergent paths of change, and they can be extremely helpful, because as corporate sustainability and responsibility enthusiasts, we are all implicitly or explicitly trying to make change happen. But as Margaret Mead said, the only person who likes change is a wet baby, to which Hunter Lovins added, and the baby still squalls all the way through the process. So change is never easy, and yet we have been engaged and affected by change since time began. In business, as first the Industrial Revolution and then the Information Revolution transformed the landscape, various strategies, tools and techniques have been employed to minimize the risks and maximize the opportunities that change inevitably brings. This is not the place to explore these in detail, but it is worth being aware of some of them. For many years, strategic planning was in vogue, especially for large companies that borrowed heavily from military models of organization and conceptualization. Strategy, tactics, targeting, firing, beating the opposition. However, as the world became more complex, in the sense of more dynamic and interconnected, formal strategic planning lost some of its effectiveness and its appeal. Forecasting, 
the once popular technique of using historical trends to predict the future, also proved inadequate to the task of the 20th century, let alone the 21st. Scenario planning, however, another method borrowed from the military, proved more durable and insightful. Scenarios are not predictions or forecasts, merely stories of what could happen in the future, given a particular set of circumstances. Sometimes these stories are grounded in complex mathematical models, such as the 1972 Limits to Growth study and the more recent Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change scenarios. More often, however, they are based on informed imagination. This technique has been effectively used since the 1970s by companies like Shell and later by Anglo-American and others. For instance, Shell's 2025 global scenarios identify three key drivers of world development, market incentives in terms of efficiency, the force of community in terms of social cohesion and justice, and coercion and regulation by the state in terms of security. Based on the interplay and trade-offs between these drivers, the report identifies three possible future worlds. Firstly, low-trust globalization, where there is more globalization and market liberalization, but also more coercive states and regulators. Notably, the trust problem is not solved. Secondly, open doors, where heightened globalization and more cohesive civil societies mean that the crisis of trust and security has been resolved. There is more use of the precautionary principle and of soft power. And thirdly, flags, where states rally around the flag, trust is fragmented, national societies split into diverse groups, and efficiency in the market take a back seat to security and solidarity, resulting in more protectionism. Looking through a sustainability lens, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development has developed global scenarios for 2000 through to 2050 in which they outline three pathways, which they explain as follows. The first scenario is called FROG. This is where we simply ignore our social and environmental problems, trusting in the dynamic of economic growth and the innovations of technology. Another scenario is called geopolity. This is where problems reach a crisis point and we turn away from our ineffective institutions of government and business to seek new models of governance that take into account the religious and democratic values that our narrow economic myth seems to ignore. The third scenario is called jazz, where we try to embody our growing environmental and social values within the economic myth, and like jazz players, experiment with ad hoc alliances and innovative forms in a world where the way we play and everything else we do is open for everyone to see and judge.